I just want to take this opportunity now, I think there's a slide up here to, to invite you and encourage you to give financially to Tri-Valley. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody the other week, and we were talking about giving, and I mentioned to them the, the, the support that this church gets, the reason that we can continue to meet in this place and fund and keep the ministries that we've set out to do going is because members give. We, we contribute. It's an act of worship. We, we let go of our dollars and we say, Lord, you do something good with this. And I want to take this time to say thank you for those of you who have done that, for those of you who do that weekly or consistently or, or in whatever form. I am a, a full-time minister at this congregation, and my salary is completely funded by you guys continuing to give and say, yes, this is a worthwhile ministries, what we're doing on Sunday, but it also funds our ministries throughout the week, our children's ministry, our youth ministry. We continue to support international missionaries. The building that we uh, own and are paying off uh, does good works throughout the week. We have a partnership with the Livermore Homeless Refuge. They're on site here, and they're just trying to do some good for some people in a crisis situation. Some people don't know that. Maybe you guys are like, we know this. We've been part of this church longer than you have, Jacob. We know how it works. It's good from time to time to say, this is, uh, this is our church, and it keeps going if we say it's worthwhile. So just continue to pray with me and the rest of the Tri-Valley leaders that what we're doing is faithful. And if it's not, then, you know, get involved and <laughs> help make it more so or uh, let us know. But I believe in this ministry. I've been giving financially to this church ever since I got here, and uh, I encourage you to do the same. And uh, so thank you for that. There's three ways to give. You can drop money in the, the box in the back, you can send in a check, or you can give online, trivalleychurch.org slash giving. We're going to continue on this morning in our series, Exodus, The Journey to Freedom. We've been studying through the story from the Old Testament book, Exodus. We've gotten the Israelites out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. God's power is displayed in multiple ways. They're learning to trust God. Where we're going to go this morning is this famous scene at the base of Mount Sinai. You guys, nod your head if you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. That's the text we're going to go over a little bit this morning. Just to give you an overview, we've got four goals for the sermon time this morning. One, we're going to hear the next chapter in the story. That'll be easy. We'll just uh, tell the story together. We'll hear it. Two, we are going to read through, and I'll make a few interesting observations about the Ten Commandments. Number three, we're going to respond to the question, what do the Ten Commandments that God gave to the Israelites have to do with us today? A lot of times we wonder that, and uh, we'll talk about that. And then the fourth thing, this will come at the end, is I'm going to send you off with a prayer that you can pray throughout this coming week. So that's where we're going. Those are the four targets we're aiming at together. Let's just start with the text. Exodus 19, 1 through 8. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. Why don't you go ahead and read this with me? We will do everything the Lord has said. Not the next part. I'll do this next part. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Good job. Let's pray. Lord, along with your holy chosen people at the base of Mount Sinai, we too want to say, we will do everything you have said. You have been faithful to us. We are your people. We are your beloved children. Direct us. Guide us. Send us. Speak to us. Provide for us. Love us. And teach us to trust in you more and more each day. Pray that you open our ears and our hearts to hear the message you would have for us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will do everything the Lord has said. This is before you get the Ten Commandments. The next thing you're going to hear, Ten Commandments, along with some other laws that follow. But the people are like, okay, God has brought us through. We've seen his faithfulness. We've been seeing in the story that they have a tendency to grumble and to wonder if they can trust God but his track record's becoming pretty consistent. They get to this point where God sees Moses. He meets the people. He's going to come down. He invites them to the mountain. And they're like, okay, we're ready. We're in. We want to commit. The word that's used here is the covenant. I want to make a covenant with my people. But it really speaks of a relationship, an agreement between two people. Maybe you've made a relationship agreement. If you were dating somebody, if you've ever been married, there are terms there are things that you need to clarify. Sometimes we call this a DTR conversation, defining the relationship. What are we? Are we dating? Are we exclusive? Are we together? Are we, are, are we going to, where is this going? These are important conversations that we have. What we see at the base of Mount Sinai is kind of a DTR conversation between Moses representing God's people and God. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm hoping you'll do. Can we come to some kind of agreement? And the people are ready. They're like, we will do whatever you say, even before you say it. And this is where God starts. These are the Ten Commandments he gives to Moses to write on stone tablets. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. By the way, the text that I'll read is not going to be on the screen, but I'm just giving you a nice little list. and We'll work our way through this, make some observations along the way. Number one, no other gods. The song that we sang earlier, don't have any other gods before me. This is consistent with what we've seen from God already. You remember when God sent Moses, go to Pharaoh, and Moses said, but what if the people ask who is sending me? How will I describe you? Give me your name so that I can give it to them. What did God tell Moses his name was? I am, capital I, capital am. It's a confusing phrase. It's hard to translate. We've talked about how some people have said is, I am who I will be, or I am who I am. Translation that I think is helpful is, I am all the God you'll ever need. I'll be your God. Let me be everything. No other gods. So that's where he starts in the Ten Commandments as well. I will be God for you. The covenant God is making with his people at Sinai is, like I said, like defining the terms of a relationship. And we'll see as we go on, there's ten commandments, and I've had conversations with people before who say like, yeah, I mean, being a Christian just means like keeping the ten commandments. There's ten, they're easy, don't murder, we can do that, uh, but there's more. 
As we read the text, we'll see there's more than Ten Commandments, but these ones certainly are a good place to start. Important terms of the relationship to state up front. And it starts with you and me. No other gods. Second one is like it. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Pagan deity worship was common in the ancient world. There were lots of gods, lots of images. We're going to make an idol out of this fish so that we can make our our fish harvest will be good. We're going to make an idol to the sun and the cow and the all kinds of things. And God says, you don't need that. Remember, there's one God, it's me and you, and you cannot encapsulate me in an image. Whatever image you would make to represent God would miss the mark. And also, you may have noticed, God has already created an image to represent him in the world. You don't need to carve one. You don't need to uh, cast one. God's image is human. We bear the image of God. We're commissioned to go out and represent God in the world. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But no, no images, no idols. Number three, you shall not... Misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The Hebrew phrase here literally is translated, you uh, carry the Lord's name in vain is something you should not do. Do not carry the Lord's name in vain. Jewish people throughout history have been very careful and intentional about not accidentally misusing the name of God. If you read something that was written by a rabbi, even in modern day, you'll see that they will not use the name Yahweh, the the four-letter name in Hebrew for Yahweh. If they come across that as they're reading, they'll replace it with Adonai, or they'll say Hashem, which is Hebrew for the name. They take this commandment seriously. It's a reminder that God's name is not to be used lightly, not to be used for your own gain, but it's designed to be used for, for prayer, to call on God, to address Him respectfully, And give God the praise that he's worthy of. A couple examples. Psalm 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. That's a good way to use God's name. Also in Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise God's name in song, and I will glorify him with thanksgiving. It's a reminder, don't use God's name for selfish purposes, but use God's name, represent Yahweh throughout his creation in the way that is consistent with his character and with God's hopes and goals for humanity. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is the longest of the commands. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male and female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This was important. This was a a distinct way that God's people stood out in the ancient world. Keeping Sabbath was keeping in rhythm with the God who creates in six days and rests on the seventh day. It's an act of trust. 
Modern people can understand this very well. To take an entire day and say, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to produce. I'm not going to check stuff off the list. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to let it rest. That's an act of trust. Taking an entire day that you could be productive, that you could be earning, that you could be making, that you could be getting things done. God says, just enjoy creation. Rest. Trust in me. It takes trust to practice the Sabbath. And it's designed for humans to enjoy the way that God created and then sat back and enjoyed his creation. We saw this in the story from the, the wilderness last week. They're out there, and he, God sends manna, and God sends quail, and he says, you know, gather it up. I'll give you enough for each day. Trust me, I'll give you your daily bread. Uh, but on Fridays, I want you to gather a double portion so you have enough for Saturday so that you don't have to gather. And God taught them this rhythm, and God provided for his people, demonstrated that he is trustworthy and continues to ask us to trust him with our time. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I don't know if this is in there because people weren't honoring their mother and father. seems like they probably were, but this is another way that God's people will be distinct. They're the ones who honor their father and their mother. It doesn't, it's not very specific. You may notice this. Honor is kind of a broad term, and I think it could include a lot of things. Show love and respect to your parents. Listen to your parents. Take care of them when they need to be taken care of. It's also noteworthy here that in a patriarchal culture, it doesn't say honor your father. This is what you may expect from a time like this. It says honor your father and your mother. Both of them are listed here, each one bearing the divine image of God, and each one is worthy of honor. The next three commands that you get are real short, and there are two words in Hebrew, so I put them two words up here on the list. Kind of a contrast to this long explanation, uh, justification with the, the Sabbath command, honor your father and mother, and this will hopefully happen if you do. These ones are just real concise. Murder? Don't. Adultery? No. Stealing? Uh-uh. That's not who you are. That's not what Yahweh's kids do. The people of Yahweh respect human life, and we see these violations as an affront on the peaceful, thriving family and community relationships that God has in mind. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. The next one's pretty short, too. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. The way this one is translated, it might make you think of uh, like a courtroom. And that's the language that's used here. And we may want to apply it that way. Like if you happen to find yourself on a witness stand in a legal proceeding and they ask you to tell the truth, you know, go ahead and tell the truth. Don't lie. That's, that's not going to go over well for you. It includes that, but there's, there's more than that. This can be applied a lot more broadly. It's a broad reminder to just to tell the truth, to be honest. But also don't get others to believe something that doesn't represent reality for your own benefit. This includes lying and other forms of purposely deceiving people, but it also includes the things we don't realize we're doing, like slander or gossip, or <laughs> the light gossip, you know, the things that we say, and then later we go, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I crossed the line giving my Yelp review of this particular person. Think about a situation where you're with somebody and you're talking about someone else. And you know something about that person, or maybe you know a lot about that person, but they know nothing about that person. 
What did you say about them? How did you represent them? Did you give them a chance to represent themselves, or did you make up somebody's mind about someone else for them? Oh, that person? That person is always late. Now this person only knows one thing about that other person, and it's not positive. Maybe it doesn't even reflect the truth, but it's your negative evaluation. That can fall under this category of bearing false testimony against your neighbor. Oh, don't get me started on that person. I cannot stand that person. You're making up their mind for them about this person, and you shouldn't be saying that stuff in the first place. You call yourself a Christian, and you fall into this bad habit. You're not only giving false testimony against your neighbor's name, but you also broke the third commandment because you're misrepresenting the name and the character of God. Uh, I'm guilty of this sometimes. I, I walk away from a conversation going, ooh, maybe that was too too much editorial comments. Maybe this is uh, not what God has in mind, something I need to work on. Maybe you do too. Let me pray for us both right now. Lord, will you change our hearts? Lord, will you change our bad habits? Lord, will you give us words to bless others and not curse? Will you help us to see how destructive a simple comment can be? Lord, I'm sorry. I want to change. Will you forgive us? Will you forgive me? We ask this in the name of Jesus, uh, the forgiver. Amen. So don't do that. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This is like letting your eyes wander over the fence, wondering what it would be like for those greener pastures that other people seem to have. Maybe you've let your mind wander there. We all know this leads to nowhere. This is not helpful in your relationship with your neighbor, in your understanding of uh, where you're at. It's not good. This is what coveting includes. Coveting is such a Bible-y word, though, right? We don't use covet a lot in a way that kind of lends itself to this. As I was thinking about it, the way you normally hear the word covet used, it's like, you know, she won the coveted Danvers Prize. And it's like, ooh, something that is coveted, something that is exclusive, maybe highly sought after. That doesn't really, that, that's sort of a positive view. Like, oh, this is a, a good thing, something that is coveted. But what, what it's talking about here is something that's a lot more destructive and that is more negative, and I think we need to understand it that way. Most translations that I've looked up, uh, English translations, stick with the word covet, but there's a couple that replace it with the word, you shall not desire your neighbor's stuff, your neighbor's property. One that I think hits it more on the head is you shall not lust after your neighbor's wife. You shall not lust after your neighbor's possessions. You should not just burn with desire. I want what that person has. Oh, how am I going to get that? I don't care about anything. I'm just ooh, laser focused on this. That will eat you up. That is what God says is not why I gave you a neighbor. It's not why I gave you eyes and a fence to look over. So don't do it. Don't lust for your neighbor's house. Don't lust for someone else's wife. Don't burn with desire for someone else's wealth or their stuff or their position in society, those are the Ten Commandments. 
As you can see, some of these have to do with the relationship that we have with God, God's people in relationship with Him, how you're to approach Him and understand Him. And some of them have to do with how we interact with each other, with the people who are around us. But it all has to do with helping God achieve His vision for what He wants His creation to be. There's a modern rabbi named David Wolpe, and he says, the Ten Commandments are a blow against the moral relativism of our day. He's saying that against the, a world that says that all laws and codes of morality are relative, they're flexible, they're negotiable, the Ten Commandments say, no, there is a right way to live. There is a wrong way to live according to the author and the giver of life itself. And these Ten Commandments are a part of it. This is what God hopes for the people who are bearing his name, bearing his image, and representing him in the world. Kind of reminds me of pep talks that Lisa and I have with our kids. If we're in the van and we're driving to someone's house, we'll sometimes we'll like park in the driveway, we'll turn around, we'll say, all right, kids, listen up. Let's go over the rules again. Of proper behavior when you're in someone's house. We want you to, we, things we want you to do, like use your manners, use your inside voices. Things we want you to not do that we've talked about. A big one for our kids is do not grab someone's arm and try to get them to come with you. Come on, come on, come sit by me. It's loving and it's well-intentioned, but stop with the yanking of the arms. Like, we don't do that. Like, I don't know how many times we have to tell you. Another one that we remind them of is don't ask for things. Don't go to someone's house and say, that is beautiful. Can I take that home with me? They usually say yes. And that person's thing now ends up in our house and clutters up our home. But <laughs> sometimes they don't want to. And they're like, uh, yeah, I guess you're a cute little kid. I, I suppose now I have to give this to you. Stop asking people for stuff. We tell them what we expect of them. Because we want you to represent our family a certain way. So do these things. Don't do these other things. You're representing our values and our choices. And we want you to represent us well. God is telling Israel... This is how I want you to represent me to the rest of the world. Okay? About halfway point, let me give you a little pop quiz slash trick question. How many commandments did God give Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai? Hmm. Well, he did give 10, so you're right if you said 10. But it's a trick question because there's more than 10, right? This is Exodus chapter 20. If you read chapter 21, 22, 23, you get about 40 more. There's like 42 commands given at Sinai. And if you broaden it out and say, like, what are all the things that God commanded to his children in, in all of the Hebrew Bible? Somebody counted. It's like 613. There's a lot. A lot of things. But in the next few chapters of Exodus, you get some specific ways that God wants his people to live in community. Here are a couple of highlights I thought would be worth mentioning. Exodus 21, 35. If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, now this is the interesting part, if it was known that the bull had a habit of goring and yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. In other words, if you have a bull who is a jerk, and you know about it, but you didn't tell people that this is a wild card animal that could be goring other people's stuff, then you're responsible. Very specific thing that I don't run into in Livermore most of the time. <laughs> Exodus 23, verse 4. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. 
If you see the donkey of someone who hates you has fallen down under its load, do not leave it there, but be sure that you help them with it. I thought this one was kind of funny. Maybe this doesn't need to be said, but apparently it was a big temptation if you have an enemy and you see their donkey like fell under the weight of a load and it's just stuck there. It's tempting to go, ha, 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 serves you right. That's what you get. Good luck. And leaving it there. Not saying, don't do that. That's not nice. Help the person, even if they are someone who hates you, even if it is your enemy. There's others like this. You can go and read them on your own. But the specific nature of these laws, these commands, kind of beg the question for us. Do these commandments still apply to us today? Some of them obviously don't. Some of them obviously do. But what about, like, keeping the Sabbath? Still good. Is it command? Is it, are we bound to it? talk about that more in a second, but we do come to the words of Scripture, whether it's Old Testament, even if it's some of the New Testament commands, and we ask the question, is this for us or is this for them? Before I move forward with some maybe a helpful half answer to that question, I want you to just take a step aside and ask this first. Why are you asking? Why do you want to know? If you're ever asking, do I have to do this? Is this for me or is this for them? Can I get... Are you asking because you want to find ways to be more faithful to God? To be like the Israelites and say, we will do everything you commanded. I didn't know that that's what you wanted. But now that I know this, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, I may need to like, readjust my perspective. Sometimes it goes against doing what culture says is okay or even should be done. But I'm willing to make that change because my commitment starts with, I will do everything the Lord has said. Is that your motive? Good. Proceed. But check your heart because sometimes we come to scriptures and we say, I'm kind of tired of doing this. I don't think I have to. I don't want to. This is becoming inconvenient for me. Can somebody help me interpret this away in a way that I don't have to be bound to this? Check your heart. That's all I'm saying. Check your motive. Why are you asking? It kind of reminds me of when we used to direct camps. I was at daybreak the other week and I was thinking about this. We would have these sessions in the amphitheater. So we'd bring all these teenagers for a time of worship and uh, a time of teaching where somebody would get on stage and present a Bible lesson. There was always a group of young people who would sit in the back row and they would intentionally get as far away from the main message, the leaders, as far away as they could. They're not bad kids. I was one of these when I was a teenager, too. So I'm not throwing stones here. But every single time, there would be a group of students who would sit as far back as they could because there was an unsupervised place, because they wanted to have side conversations. Some of them would want to be closer to the, the bathroom so they could sneak out halfway through and go, like, go do their own thing. There's an attitude that goes with that that says, yeah, 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 this is where you want me to be. This is what you want me to hear. And I'll, I'm here. I'm technically here, but I'm also... I'm here. I still want to maintain some control. I still want to help set the tone and make the rules. And if I don't like what's going on, I'm, i got an easy access to getting out. That's where our hearts can be sometimes when we come to the Lord. Like, I'm here, but, you know, if it gets, I don't like it, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide for myself. So check your heart when you come to start to ask these questions. But whatever your motivation is for knowing the boundaries, whether they're self-focused or whether they're God-focused, we still want to know what is expected of us today. Paul writes about this 
We have some helpful uh, words from the Apostle Paul in Romans and other places. He writes about how the law of Moses served God's people for a time, but that it was not enough to save. But that the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus and sending the Holy Spirit does what the law by itself was not able to do. So that's good news for Christians, people who follow Jesus and baptize and receive the Holy Spirit. That is good news. But does that mean that the things God wanted Israel to do to represent him to the world, that he doesn't need us to do anymore? Does that mean he no longer wants us to do these things? This is not a new question. This is a question that was asked in the time of Jesus, and Jesus weighs in a little bit on this. So we're going to hear what he has to say. He tells them he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Okay. You get that, but what does that look like? Then he goes on to call his followers to an even higher standard than just keeping the Ten Commandments. Just check them off and say, yeah, I didn't murder anybody. Yeah, I didn't let somebody's ox stay under the load. Jesus, he says this, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Any, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means empty-headed, dum-dum, that person is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. He goes on to say, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he also says this in Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We sang this earlier. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus said he didn't come to remove the commandments of God, but to help us understand what the purpose behind keeping them is. Jesus lived in a time and place like today where it's possible to keep the letter of the law, but completely miss the spirit of the law. You can come out with an A-plus on keeping the Ten Commandments, but still have a hard heart. Still not be transformed and be the image that God wants us to represent in the world. And he asked Jesus, or Jesus asked the religious leaders of his time, the same question we're encouraging ourselves to ask today. Why do you want to know? Why are you asking what is required of you? What's the status of your heart? Do you want to know so that you can say yes, or do you want to know so you can back off? And so Jesus gives people, then and now, a standard by which you can measure all of your decisions and help them better align with God's purposes. Question one, does it show love to God? Question two, does it show love to God's children, our neighbors? Are we loving God? Are we loving neighbor? At Mount Sinai, God is telling Israel, I want you to want what I want. I will be your God and I will lead you. But you have to trust me. You have to let me. So what was the purpose of the law? Was it rules to keep order in society so people aren't just leaving each other's donkeys lying on the side of the road? Yes, but there's more than that. 
It's more than just keeping order in society. Are they rules to help us live the best kind of lives that we can so we're not murdering each other left and right? Is it, is it for our own good? Yes, it is. But there's more than that. The reason the law was given is so that God can continue to be on mission. So that he can accomplish his goals and that his people can be on board with those goals. Let's go back to Exodus 19. This line that we heard before. God says, now if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We're going to talk a little specifically more about this next week. But go back to Abraham. Remember, he said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. And with Moses, I want you to keep my covenant so you can be a kingdom of priests, liaisons between God and people. So here's another pop quiz slash trick question. Are the commandments for us today or are they for them back then? Don't answer out loud. It's a trick question. They're actually for God. Who are they for? They're for God so that God's purposes can be accomplished, so that the kingdom of God can come and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Did the Israelites keep their vow to God? Spoiler alert, they said, we will do everything the Lord commanded. Did they keep their word? No. Very shortly after this scene, they're going to completely break it. They're going to break the first two commandments almost immediately. But there was forgiveness for God's people. Have God's people throughout history successfully kept all of the Ten Commandments and the 42 Commandments and the 613 Commandments of God? No. But there's forgiveness. Do my kids always remember to not ask people to take things home from their house? Do they always heed the advice of the pep talk and do what we expect them to do? Yes, we have perfect kids. No, they don't. But I love them. And they'll get another chance. They're not kicked out of the family. They'll get another shot at it. Do we always represent our Heavenly Father's value and, and His goals for His family? Does everything we do show that we love God and love our neighbors? Confession time, no. But He loves us. And in Christ, we get another shot at it. And that's good news. I want to end this morning, like I said, with a prayer that I take you home with, or take, you can take home with you. It's not a new prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. You might notice, like I said, the Ten Commandments are about being in relationship with God, but also being in relationship with people. The Lord's Prayer is the same way. There's parts of this prayer that talk about how to be in relationship with God, what we want God to do in our lives, what we, how we want God to accomplish his purposes, and then a prayer for how we are to interact with God people. The main thing about this prayer I want you to focus on is it connects with our attitude like the Israelites at Mount Sinai is we want to say, God, everything that you command, we will do. When we pray your kingdom come and your will be done right here on earth, the way that it's done in heaven, we want here to look like there, we're praying the same prayer. We'll do everything the Lord wants. Whether it's what we want or not, we're making this commitment in relationship to God. And so, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together now, and I want to encourage you to pray it throughout this week. Keep in mind uh, this attitude, this heart posture that we want to have before the God that we, too, have committed 
to follow and to trust. Uh, let's well, go ahead and stand with me. We'll pray this together now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Just for good measure, let's pray that one more time. Because this is the prayer I want you to pray more than one time throughout this week. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You can go, ahead and, go ahead and have a seat. I want to close this morning by inviting you to pray with the people around you. We call this a prayer for one, prayers for one another. If you have a specific prayer that you'd like us to pray as a congregation, please uh, fill out a card, put it in the basket, or send it to the church office. We will send those out. Uh, this week, you can check your email. If you're like, I'm not on that email list, talk to me. We can make that happen very quickly. But the way we want to pray for one another this morning is with the people around you. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to one or two people sitting near you and ask and answer two simple questions. One, what's one thing you're thankful for? One thing, specific thing. And two, what is a need that you have in your life right now? These are prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of confession, and then pray for each other. And bonus points, did I put this up there? Oh yeah, not bonus points. This is required. Exchange numbers with the person if they're willing to do that. Maybe set a reminder on your calendar. Check in with them later. This, this is how some people check in. This is how other people check in. Some of you check in like this. However you do it, check in with the person that you're going to pray with now. But this is a simple request. This is a simple way to Ask people how you can pray with them. One thing you're thankful for, one need that you have right now, and then pray together, and when you're done, you're dismissed. Thanks.